Hello, and welcome back to episode seven of the Detours in Music podcast. I'm Laura Rupel, and today we're going to be talking with JMU theory professor Dr. John Peterson. Hope you enjoy. I'm John Peterson, uh, and I teach music theory uh, at James Madison University. Awesome. Can you tell us about how you got your start in music? Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I took, when I was a kid, I took, like, piano lessons, mm-hmm. you know, with a private teacher. My parents got me into that. My my mom was always um, wanting us to do many different things so mm-hmm. that we would, you know, have, so we took, like, skiing lessons, and, like, I took um, springboard diving yeah. <laughs> in one, like, crazy summer for some reason. Yeah. Um, but anyway, piano lessons was, like, part of that. Um and uh, and I enjoyed that. Piano wasn't necessarily my, you know, inspiring thing. Um, but it was really, I would say, in grade seven when I um, realized that I had this passion for music. Okay. And it was, I'm sure like many people, um, uh, a music teacher, you know, who got me into to, uh, to music. Her name was Jeanette Wilson. Um, and she... Um, in grade seven, so she taught middle school uh, music from grade six to eight, and in grade seven was when everyone in um, Canada starts mm-hmm. playing, you know, okay. um, instruments, which I think is much later than uh, many many people in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had this day where she would like lay out all the mouthpieces for various okay. instruments, <laughs> and like then we could also like try drums um, mm-hmm. and like uh, guitar and stuff. And so like I'm going through all the stations and. Um, it turned out that um, t- saxophone was the only one that I could make a noise on, like mm-hmm. only mouthpiece I could make yeah. a noise on. And so I like wrote that down as my number one, you mm-hmm. know, instrument or whatever. Um, and so I got placed on tenor saxophone, um, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when I um, when I like as actually got boy, to play like, it, that's yeah, perfect, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, that seemed like a good instrument for me. Um, and so she was very encouraging. Um, I, you know, I got to play in band and stuff. Um, and in in my middle school, it was um, I would say the strongest music program in my community, which mm-hmm. is Milton, Ontario, um, a little small town at that time. Um, and uh, she was um, very enthusiastic, which I think made a lot of people want to do, mm-hmm. you know, music. So it was a very popular thing to do. Everybody mm-hmm. wanted to be in the band, and um, you had to like state your interest and then she would like put up the sign up. I don't really remember if there was an audition process. I'm guessing not, mm-hmm. but um But you did have to like show You had to show in- interest. And- yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um and so I, I did, you know, band in grade seven, um, and then I continued in grade eight. And there were these regional mm-hmm. um, bands that you could do as well, and those you did have to audition for. And your music teacher had to nominate you, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. And so I got to do like there was a, a junior wind ensemble thing mm-hmm. that I did, and a junior jazz ensemble thing that I did, and. I think those experiences really, you know, um, kickstarted my my love of, of music. And plus, you get to know, like, a bunch of, you know, different mm-hmm. people um, that do it. And so, like, through high school, I went to a high school that had a weaker music program. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was another music, uh, there was another um, high school in town that had a much stronger music program. And most of my friends went there that mm-hmm. were the strong music people. Um but it was great because um, we had played in these ensembles that weren't part of the middle school. They were these mm-hmm. auditioned, you know, regional ensembles. And so then I got to still play with them mm-hmm. later on because we knew each other, you know, kind of a thing. Um, 
And so um, in high school, I was still very invested in music. Mm -hmm. I um, started my own jazz combo um, in high school. Um, and we would play around town. We uh, One time we played for um, a fundraiser to raise funds for our prom, because at mm -hmm. one point the school said they weren't going to support our prom yeah. anymore. So now we had to like raise money. And so we would play in like the... Um, the grocery store there was like this balcony yeah. in the grocery store and we would play and I remember we must have been very loud yeah. because like the people you know Didn't that were happy. yeah like they, they were like upset every yeah. time we came to play but they had this contract with us so we went like eight times I think and every mm -hmm. time it was like clearly not <laughs> not very oh good for gosh. them but uh, yeah um, so then um, I you know, it came time to decide what to do for um, mm -hmm. for college, and um, I decided I wanted to do music. And um, I had been playing um, in both jazz uh, band and concert band. I had no idea that this thing called the classical saxophone existed. Mm -hmm. I m mostly what I knew was jazz, you know, mm -hmm. and so like I just assumed I was going to go for jazz. Mm -hmm. So there aren't a whole lot of programs that are strong in Canada for music. I think there are mm -hmm. more now than there were mm -hmm. when I was um, going through. But basically, it was like I could go to U of T, uh, University of Toronto for mm -hmm. jazz, or I could go to McGill for jazz. And those were like the two, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, big jazz schools. So I did that. Um, I decided to audition. My parents bought me a brand new custom tenor saxophone, mm -hmm. you know, so that I could, you know, have the best, you know, mm -hmm. quality instrument for my auditions. And, um, I, I remember uh, my parents were very supportive, but it's a lot of time, you know, mm -hmm. that they have to take to drive me to the, these auditions. And so they, they didn't take me to the one at, at Toronto or the one at McGill. Mm -hmm. The one in Toronto, I drove myself, which was not that big a deal because it's like 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. But McGill was like six, six or eight hours <laughs> away from where I, mm -hmm. you know, lived. And uh, my guidance counselors in high school were very supportive. And um, when they heard that my parents weren't going to you know, mm -hmm. take me, they said, oh, we'll drive you. Aww. So I went with my guidance counselors, which is like wild to yeah. me that they were so, yeah. you know, supportive That's like that. Though. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I did that. And I also, you know, as like a backup mm -hmm. <laughs> option, I um, uh, auditioned at... Uh, University of Western Ontario and um, Wilfrid Laurier University for classical saxophone. Mm -hmm. And it was my first time ever playing classical mm -hmm. saxophone. In fact, you have to audition on alto and I didn't own an alto. I had mm -hmm. just bought a tenor. So I had to like borrow an alto. And I didn't get in anywhere on jazz. I just got in on classical yeah. saxophone, which was sort of, I mean, it's its like ridiculous that that happened. But yeah. also my parents had just bought me this new tenor and now uh -huh. I had to sell that and buy a new, yeah. you know, alto. And that was kind of a mess. Had you taken any lessons on saxophone? I started taking lessons right before I auditioned. Like to get I think, like prepared for Yeah, those. exactly. Okay. Like I think I had two months of, yeah. <laughs> you okay. know, of lessons. And it's not, again, it, it's not very common for people to take private lessons on an instrument other than piano, mm, okay. you know. Um, in Canada, so I wasn't out of the norm mm -hmm. really there. Um, okay, so <laughs> yeah, so I guess it was fine. So I went to uh, um, University of Western Ontario for my undergrad, mm -hmm. and I was pretty disappointed, you know, that I didn't mm -hmm. get in for jazz because that's really what I wanted. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll do composition, you know, because I didn't think that I was going to be like a classical saxophone performer, mm -hmm. so I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I was a composition major for the first portion of my um, career. Then I realized composition was not going to be the thing for me. Um, it was it was always um, a struggle to write. Like I really worked at it mm -hmm. and I was never proud of anything that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I don't remember when, but I must have thought like, there's no way that I want to spend my life working this hard to not mm -hmm. be proud of what I'm yeah. doing, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, so then I thought, I, I actually had started um, to enjoy performing classically on the saxophone and mm -hmm. I was in all these um, saxophone quartets and I mm -hmm. thought, oh, maybe I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So um, so I started going down the path of saxophone performance and then in like the, my third, the end of my third year, I think, beginning of my fourth year, I got tendonitis um, mm -hmm. and it got to the point where I couldn't even like pick up a water glass, you know, yeah. or anything, it was really bad. And so, performance wasn't going to pan out mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, very well for me. Mm -hmm. um, but because I had been uh, doing the composition thing, I'd been taking all these theory classes that were mm -hmm. part of the composition program. And Western had a very strong undergraduate theory program, so I'd mm -hmm. taken a lot. Um, and I had really enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, I knew like at the end of my undergrad that um, I wasn't done you mm -hmm. know, studying music. Yeah. And so I thought I'd go into theory and just see you know mm -hmm. what that was like yeah so I um, theory is more prominent in the US than it is in Canada so I applied to my home school and then I applied to six other schools in the US mm -hmm. um, and I went for all these interviews um, again you know like for example I got an interview at Indiana and like I had a friend drive me down to Indiana mm -hmm. you know yeah. where, where I would go for this interview which was great um, and I didn't get in anywhere. I got into my home school and mm -hmm. I got into the University of Colorado. And so that was again like super disappointing, mm -hmm. you know, to me. Um, but I was lucky that I had two places to choose from and mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to stay at my home school, you know, so mm -hmm. I left and went to the University of Colorado. And um, that turned out to be a great place for me to be mm -hmm. um, because the program, they don't have a PhD program there, so their master's students get all mm -hmm. kinds of opportunities that they might not have gotten had there been a PhD program. And it, it was a relatively small program. I was the second graduate um, in um, music theory there. Oh. Um, the, the, the first one graduated the year before I did, you know, so it was a relatively new program, mm -hmm. relatively small, but a lot of theory faculty there. So I got a lot of attention and they had diverse interests. So I got to sort of experiment there. I mm -hmm. got a lot of teaching experience there where I was the actual teacher, not mm -hmm. just like grading something. Yeah. Um, and all of that, you know, combined to make me realize that, oh yeah, theory is something that I really could see myself mm -hmm. you know, doing. So it was really in my master's where I realized that this was something that, mm -hmm. you know, I could do. Um, and so I actually stayed there an extra year um, because I felt like at the end of my second year, I wasn't quite ready, you mm -hmm. know, to, to leave and to, to go. Um, and that turned out to be a good decision um, for me. I got to study one-on-one -on -one with some pretty famous um, theorists who were in the area but okay. not teaching at the school. And then um, I applied again to seven different places all okay. in the U.S. And this time I got in e everywhere, <laughs> which was so great. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, I've like improved. Yeah. Like I've really, you know, um, like, I've done it. This is the right path. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. Um, and so I had my pick of places and Florida State was the place that I went because it felt like the right place. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was something special about the audition process there. They every single faculty member took time out of their day to meet with every mm -hmm. audition person, which was not um, the case at every place that I yeah. went, you know. Um, 
And so that told me, you know, that they were going to be very hands-on mm -hmm. and, and really helpful, you know. Um, so that was a great place. And I managed to finish my degree early there and then got my job at, at JMU and, uh, and it all kind of worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, have you played or I guess what was the experience like being like, I'm going to be a performance major and then thinking like, oh, my hand is injured, but then yeah. like, I'm assuming your hands got better eventually. <laughs> they did, but yeah. there were a combination of things. You know, I was I was scared to pick up the saxophone again yeah. because of what had happened. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I had seen some doctors about it and, you know, it's it almost seems like this very mysterious thing. Yeah. Like there's no, no one seems to know how to fix it. And mm -hmm. there were, you know, people who looked at my posture and stuff while I was playing and mm -hmm. said like, you don't look tense, I don't know, yeah. you know, um, and so, I think I had like a fear develop, you mm -hmm. know, of like, gosh, if I pick up the saxophone, what's going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, as I was doing my graduate work, I was doing a lot of writing on the computer mm -hmm. and I was really nervous also that, I, you know, it would come back and I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to type anymore. And then mm -hmm. what was I going to do, you yeah. know, kind of a thing. So, and, and then also I had to learn to play piano much better than I yeah. could because for teaching and stuff, I needed piano and just it's... It's something that is a, I think, skill that's useful for every musician to have, mm -hmm. to be able to just sort of sit down at the piano and plunk something out mm -hmm. so that you can hear the harmony you know, yeah. happening and stuff. Um, so I was practicing some piano as well, uh -huh. and all that you know, made me not wanna you know, play again. Um, so I haven't played saxophone in many years now. I'm not, I don't know if I can remember. And in fact, I just sold my alto to an undergraduate student in Colorado yeah. <laughs> who, um, yeah, he had like a student model saxophone and, you know, needed a professional yeah. one. And I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity for you. Yeah. But um, I also, um, so a few weeks ago, I went to New York to see Votsek um, at the Met. Mm -hmm. And I, um, uh, I've wanted to get back into playing more. Mm -hmm. I was never a, a very big fan of playing alto. I mm -hmm. liked to play baritone saxophone. Um, and I was walking down the street, just mm -hmm. killing time before um, our bus to come back home. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw this like printed paper sign, mm -hmm. um, handwritten, yeah. <laughs> that said saxophone sales and repairs, yeah. <laughs> you know, on like a little door. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, that that's interesting. You know, maybe I'll go in. So I, I went in and it's like a big, scary yeah. set of stairs. It was just like straight up three floors, you know. Yeah. Um, and I thought this could either be really scary yeah. <laughs> or this is going to be amazing. Normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I went in and it turned out to be this really young um, guy, uh, John Ledbetter, who did a degree at UNT in jazz saxophone, and then um, uh, apprenticed, I think, with um, someone who does like woodwind repair, mm -hmm. and then opened his own shop. Yeah. And um, now he does repairs for all these famous saxophonists in New York, mm -hmm. um, and is is actually quite well. I mean, I didn't know him because I'm not really in the saxophone yeah. circle, but as I did some research, it turns out he's quite well known. And he was there, and um, he also it turns out builds custom um, saxophones with his name on them. And he was just so enthusiastic and mm -hmm. really nice, you know, guy. Um, and so um, I decided to buy a baritone from him. So he's <laughs> making me a custom baritone that's gonna come yeah. in a few months and I'll, I'll get into playing that way, yeah. I think again. Cool. 
Um, but I've also, uh, I've wanted to, you know, branch out a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And so I bought a mandolin a year and a half ago <laughs> and I've started to get into bluegrass playing yeah, yeah. a little bit, you know, and that has been just a blast. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a totally different style than I'm yeah. used to. Um, but there is an intuitiveness about um, mandolin playing mm -hmm. for me that I haven't experienced with piano or with saxophone. Okay. Um, and so it seems it, it was easier for me to pick up than both of those instruments. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had this strange experience where, you know, when I got out of playing um, mm -hmm. seriously, my skills in music theory were just starting to develop. Yeah. And now coming back into it, you know, like playing piano and stuff, I'm a pretty um, cerebral person, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to learning music. But with mandolin, I don't need that um, mm -hmm. necessarily. I can, you know, yeah. but I don't have to have that. I can yeah. just play, you know, sort of, yeah, intuitively and not, not um, uh, at first think mm -hmm. critically, you yeah. know, about what I'm doing. And then once I've got it, then I can, mm -hmm. you know, kind of. And that can be, in. I guess, part of the tension. Maybe it wasn't visible, but yeah. very mental. Like right. If you're yeah. really like trying to make sure everything's perfect. And right placement of everything that could be part of it too. right yeah there is uh, I think a point at which you just need to say okay let me feel this out yeah. you know first and then okay now I can like layer on whatever mm -hmm. else I'm gonna do yeah you know with it yeah so that's been a different experience for me too and mm -hmm. I'm kind of excited to see what happens when I get you know my baritone because that's definitely the place where I feel most comfortable mm -hmm. playing you mm -hmm. know um, so I'm excited to see like how has my ability to interpret music changed, mm -hmm. you know, from when I was an undergrad and still kind of shaping my career and stuff to now knowing so much more about style mm -hmm. and different composers and just how music works. How will that like change yeah. my ability to play? I think that's, I'm super excited to <laughs> <Can't> see. <wait. laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were in high school or even experiencing some of these um, questions, were you ever considering a career outside of music? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few ways I can answer that. One yeah. is I never thought that I would be a teacher. That was not, okay. you know, my my plan. So that's kind of a funny thing that happened. I mean, I when I first started down music theory, I thought really I was going to be a researcher. Like that was mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. And then as I taught more and more, I realized, oh, um, I, I like doing this. People seem to respond well, you know, mm -hmm. to my teaching. And so that's something that I'd like to add. Yeah. Um, but I was very into science um, when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I took all kinds of science classes except physics. I never seemed to really mm -hmm. enjoy physics very much, but biology and chemistry I really liked. Mm -hmm. But I never liked the experiment um, part of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's always like the, okay, we're going to learn about some um, theoretical apparatus, mm -hmm. you know, and then we'll put it to use um, yeah. by doing some experiment. Um, and for whatever reason, I just... Like, I remember we had to dissect a pig once, mm -hmm. like a pig fetus. Yep. I'm sure everyone did that. <laughs> and, like, I just did not want to touch that. You yeah. know? <laughs> and I, I was lucky because I had a friend who was really into science, um, Kristen. Yeah. And we always Black paired together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because she loved to do that. And yeah. I'd be like, I'll do the write-up. Like, yeah. I'm super happy to do that. You do the, like, I'll read the directions to you and you, like, do the mm -hmm. thing. But so I thought for a while that maybe I should go into science and still like I'm very interested in in the science aspect. I've thought, 
you know, I'd really like to get into more psychological studies of mm -hmm. um, music perception, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I'm really interested in human behavior and why we do things the way that we yeah. do them. And so like if I had to choose something right now, like if it was like, OK, you know, for whatever reason, I'm going to get out of music and go into something else, mm -hmm. I've thought. Um, psychology would be such an interesting you know mm -hmm. field to go into to understand why we do the things that we do mm -hmm. and it pairs so easily with music as well yeah. that it's a way you know that I could do that on the other hand I've also thought man it'd be fun to just open a coffee shop yes. oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can have conversations yes. with people all day and like you can program music events or other arts yeah. events you know and like it could be a very cool thing and yes. I don't know that sounds like fun too yes, it does. <laughs> What are some things that you struggle with in your degrees? And then what are advice you would give to students struggling with those similar things? One thing that I know that I've struggled with and that I see in students as well mm -hmm. is um, relevance of things that you study sometimes. Okay. And I can think of a few times this has happened to me. One is in my undergraduate, everyone had to take a vocal techniques class um, in their first year. Mm -hmm. And so vocal techniques is um, basic like, basically like many of the music education techniques classes mm -hmm. where you know you learn what's, some, what's the proper way to sing, what, what are um, the parts of the you know, human body that contribute to singing, how mm -hmm. should you sit, how should you stand. We had to, to learn repertoire and do solo and ensemble wow. performances <laughs> you know, with good diction yeah. and like we had to work with a vocal coach and everything wow. um, in that semester. And that was so scary for me mm -hmm. because I'd never sung in my life, you know, and I had much worse pitch perception than mm -hmm. any of my other, okay. you know, friends. And so like getting up and singing solo in front of people, I was constantly singing the wrong pitches and mm -hmm. like not, you know, mm -hmm. not right. And then like you're thinking about how do you shape the words and like it's just you standing there mm -hmm. <laughs> in front of everyone and that's mm -hmm. scary too. Mm -hmm. um, and I, at the time I was thinking, um, what what am I doing with this? Like mm -hmm. this, I, I'm not a singer. I'm mm -hmm. never gonna sing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't I don't understand why I would have to do this. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened with you know when I was doing the oral skills mm -hmm. program. I would say that was one of the weakest components of my undergraduate education. And I did not care about oral skills in the least. Mm -hmm. At at Western, it was um, divided among three different classes. So we had an hour keyboard class, an hour sight singing class, and an hour dictation class every week. It mm -hmm. was. Isn't like in most US schools, you know, the dictation and sightseeing yeah. is like three times or two times yeah. a week. Yeah. Um, it was just like one hour each each week. Um, and they seemed unconnected to each other mm -hmm. and completely irrelevant yeah. <laughs> to anything I was studying, yeah. you know. And it was, again, I was so frustrated and didn't care and I wasn't good at it mm -hmm. and didn't care that I wasn't good at it, yeah. you know. And then I had this moment um, in like the third year of my program where I was in jazz ensemble and being asked to improvise and realizing that I had no idea how to hear anything mm -hmm. <laughs> around me and how was I going to improvise when I didn't know what chords were happening mm -hmm. or like how my notes should fit into those chords. Yeah. And so I really had to work then post oral skills curriculum to actually develop my oral skills. Yeah. So at that point, I realized like, shoot, <laughs> mm -hmm. I should have put much more effort into this because mm -hmm. now suddenly it's become relevant and I can't yeah. do it. And it's so much harder now because I have to work by myself, yes. <laughs> you know, on it. The vocal techniques came in later in my teaching uh -huh. when suddenly I was teaching oral skills, which I had never envisioned I would mm -hmm. do. And like I had to have warm ups for people mm -hmm. and I had to like 
know like, okay, this person is telling me they're having trouble like matching pitch or whatever, what can I say to them both mm -hmm. physically and just um, uh, metaphorically to try yeah. to help them, you know, do that kind of a thing. So that class turned out to be quite useful, mm -hmm. but at the time it was like, I don't mm -hmm. understand what this is going to do for me. Do you think that struggling with oral skills and matching pitch actually makes you a better teacher? Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Cause I have like, I mean, I wish I had struggled in the class with the teacher, you know, mm -hmm. cause then I think I would have gained more yeah. from it, but I had to do it on my own, you know? And so in doing that, I kind of learned what would help me mm -hmm. and, you know, went down a whole bunch of different paths and mm -hmm. that gave me many tools to give yeah. other people, you know, to, um, to help them be successful. Mm -hmm. So I think that did help. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if I had, had have been more, I, I feel like I was not um, the best student that I could have been. I mm -hmm. wish I had have been more open. And I think that's one thing that I would say, mm -hmm. you know, to students is if I could change something about the way that I was thinking, you know, in my undergrad, it would have been to just be open to all the experiences that, you know, I was getting at yeah. the time because really you think you know you know mm -hmm. where you're going to end up and I just didn't you know yeah. and um maybe I would have gotten more you know mm -hmm. um from from all those experiences had I been a little more open to you know things coming at me mm -hmm. and just really tried yeah. <laughs> you know given my honest um effort in mm -hmm. every class you know that I did yeah. I think that's yeah that's one big thing parts of me wishes that like I understand why theory and oral skills and piano are at the beginning of college but also uh -huh. I kind of wish that they were at the end yeah. same with like history it's like because now I'm applying for grad schools and now I have to take exams right. it's like whoa I've I forgotten everything <laughs> I, yeah. I put it all in the back of my yeah. mind and um it's just it's always relevant I think we all like we study for the test and yeah try to pass the class and then well and part of that is the way that school and college is structured mm -hmm. you know like I, I often think the semester time frame is so challenging for, yeah. for many students because we all learn at different paces mm -hmm. and some topics take longer than others. And um, sometimes, you know, you get a group of people that's really interested in one topic and you mm -hmm. want to stretch it out, but that means you won't get to these other things, yeah. you know, and wouldn't it be great if we could just say, well, you know, we have a much longer block of time mm -hmm. to be able to, to cover stuff. But, you know, I can't think of a better way to, I mean, you need, there needs to be some end, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and there needs to be some way to block off time. And mm -hmm. I can't think of a better way to do it than the, than the systems we have, yeah. you know. But, yeah, it's, I think that oftentimes leads to problems mm -hmm. as well. Um, another question I can think of, which I could be completely wrong, but I just don't know. Um, growing up in Canada, does moving... To the United States or going to a school in the United States does that seem super normal or is that like a big detour yeah um, well I didn't plan for plan to move certainly um, and there there were a lot of steps to learning I mean looking back one thing that surprises me about it mm -hmm. is I like I, I, I don't remember being scared to move and mm -hmm. it's like a big move yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I was moving way far I mean you know Toronto is like we're talking above New York yeah. you know and I moved all the way to Colorado yeah. you know so it's like a big move um, and um, you know in terms of finances it's not like I had a lot of money or anything mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky because I had gotten a scholarship you know so th that really helped mm -hmm. um, but 
I had to, you know, find an apartment on my own. And it was the first time ever that I was going to live on my own. Mm -hmm. I do remember, I mean, my mom um, very kindly drove me across the country, moved, you know, my stuff, got Mm -hmm. me kind of set up in my apartment and everything. We went on a little vacation. Mm -hmm. But then when she left, it was like, that's it. Like for those (laughs) first few weeks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and it was before school had started. So I was like really on my own, you know, for the, for the first time I do no one. Mm -hmm. I was in a foreign country, (laughs) you know, and like, but but for some reason I was not scared when I was, you know, planning the move down Mm -hmm. there and everything. It was really, I think after she left that I was like, Oh, (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm on my own. What am I, what have I done? You know, here. Um, so that, that was a a learning curve for Mm me. Um, the other thing I think that I discovered is, um, there are many things that are similar about Mm -hmm. Canada and the U S you know, Mm -hmm. and the things that are different are really small things. Mm -hmm. Like I kept telling my family, things are so much more convenient in the U S than they are in Canada. (laughs) Like grocery stores are open till in in many, in many cases, um, 24 hours a day, but at least till very late. Mm -hmm. Um, and anything that I want to buy, I can, I seem to be able to get, you know, whereas in Canada, it's like, no, the grocery store closes at six or whatever, you know, the bank closes, like you can't Mm -hmm. just go, you know, when you, when you want. Um, so that was a learning curve. Uh, there were other cultural things that were different, I think. Like, mm-hmm. um, for example, it seemed like everyone had been driving a car for quite a long time and mm-hmm. everyone seemed to have a car. Yes. <laughs> you know, and in Canada, it wasn't like that. It was yeah. like, no, you, you start, you know, driving at 16, but very few people are going to own a car, you mm-hmm. know, when they're kids. And even in undergrad, very few people owned a car. Yeah. It was you take the bus or you walk, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. But suddenly everyone had a car, yes. <laughs> you know, around me and could get around. Um, yeah, so there were little things like that that I think prompted me to learn more mm-hmm. about myself and the world. And I guess that's maybe another piece of advice that I would give mm-hmm. people is if you have the opportunity to travel mm-hmm. outside of your regional area that mm-hmm. you know, you should definitely take that. Like going to Europe in recent times and stuff has taught me so much mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to get, you know, from, from school. So Mm -hmm. I think travel is something that opens doors and, um, uh, really makes you understand Mm -hmm. where other people come from and how to contextualize what you've learned in the more, in the broader story, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, I think is being told. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, I guess in your transition into being a professor, becoming a theorist was the big detour. Mm-hmm. Um, since being a theorist, has there been any like um, changes that weren't expected to you? I think one thing that comes to mind is, um, so, so you go through school, right? And mm-hmm. my path was very focused on um, a job in higher ed. Because when you go into mm-hmm. music theory, it's not, I mean, there are other things you can do. I have friends, for example, that have um, gone on to work in the tech sector, like mm-hmm. for Microsoft, doing like um, artificial intelligence learning um, mm-hmm. and using their you know PhD in music theory to apply to how can I get a, mach- a machine to compose, you okay. know, or that sort of thing. So there are like other things you can do, mm-hmm. but the sort of easy, I'll say mm-hmm. um, in quotes, mm-hmm. path or the more direct path is mm-hmm. to go into academia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I had been you know training for in my um, doctorate. 
but there's only so much that you can cover. And you think mm-hmm. like you'd think yeah. being in school for this long, yeah. you know, being steeped in universities and having gone to many different ones and, you know, being on this training path, I would like get it. Like mm-hmm. I would understand what it's about. Mm-hmm. But then when you get into being a professor in your job, yeah. it's it's there's all these other things that you mm-hmm. didn't realize were there because probably rightfully your teachers try to shield you (laughs) from some of that you know and so then you're plunked in and you have to navigate like you know political things sometimes Mm -hmm. or um just how do I even dress like Mm -hmm. I remember um the first year that I was here I was just wearing what I normally wore in grad school which was like slacks and um a button-up collared shirt you Mm -hmm. know and everybody mistook me for you know a student mm-hmm. on campus so then I had to like change my hair and I had to like wear a blazer and yeah. I had to like get nicer shoes like yeah. all this you know stuff so that I would be treated like you know I was um, a faculty member mm-hmm. and, and not like I was a student um, so there there were little things that I think were an adjustment you mm-hmm. know for me um, going down that path from being a student I think the other big thing was when you're a student, you're constantly with people your age or close Mm -hmm. to your age, and you're all sharing the same experience at the same time. And that was true at every institution that I Mm -hmm. went to, right? But when I came here, most people were older than me. Mm -hmm. Well, I was the youngest faculty member when I first got here. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone was older than me. Many people had kids, you know, um, and that was very different because... um, no one was sharing the experience of mm-hmm. this is my first job this is you know we're at the same age range we're at the same stage of life mm-hmm. like that was so it was like a very individualistic i guess mm-hmm. thing you know for me um and so i had to like learn how to navigate that as well mm-hmm. um so that was a change too i think um and then just being able to make choices mm-hmm. <laughs> for my for myself. A lot mm-hmm. of times in school, you're just you know you're just doing what you're told to do, what you're mm-hmm. asked to do, because you're just trying to finish all your work, you know. But now it was like I have time to make some decisions, yeah. <laughs> you know, on my own. So who am I as, a, as yeah, an adult? Right. Yeah. There's another stage of growing up. I mm-hmm. think that happens there. Cool. Um, I guess in closing, what are your takeaways from your time here at JMU thus far? And the program here for theory yeah well um one thing that is so great is flexibility mm-hmm. um here i've felt that um so speaking from the position of my job i felt that i've had support from everyone mm-hmm. and flexibility to make changes and to um uh, to inject my own research, my own thoughts into mm-hmm. the curriculum, which I think not everyone gets at yeah. various jobs. So that is one thing that's been really nice. The faculty have been very adaptable, flexible to change. Um, you know, I'm very excited about um, next year we're implementing this new curriculum mm-hmm. that does away with the theory sequence that is traditional at most institutions mm-hmm. and instead implements kind of a menu-based um, mm-hmm. curriculum that I think is really going to benefit the students um, mm-hmm. here. It's going to um, make us stand out as mm-hmm. a place where choice is valued you know, among students. I think that is um really great and that wouldn't have happened if the faculty here Mm -hmm. weren't so adaptable and supportive Mm -hmm. you know of change um i think another takeaway is just the friendly environment like Mm -hmm. i hear stories of you know (laughs) my colleagues at other institutions you know getting their first jobs and Mm -hmm. realizing that it's not a very 
that that there are some um, no that there's antagonism in some you know um, uh, interactions that yeah. people have you know but that's not here mm-hmm. here it's very friendly yeah. and very welcoming and very open and it's that makes for a very positive learning space for everyone mm-hmm. you know um, students included um, and I would say the other thing is that the students here are just so um, eager, <laughs> you know, to learn and so open to trying things. Mm-hmm. And that makes for a very rewarding, I think, classroom experience for both the teacher and the student. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I value most, I think, mm-hmm. about the, the job here. Awesome. As I'm sure you could tell from that interview, Dr. Peterson is such a light for the School of Music. And definitely students, he's a big favorite with everyone at JMU. As someone who has their very first graduate school audition tomorrow, um, maybe not tomorrow when you're listening, but tomorrow for me, it's really nice to hear that one of the best professors in my mind at our school struggled with his graduate auditions and his undergrad auditions, and it really can put things in perspective and keep us all on the right track that everything will work out in the end. Thank you all for listening, and check back in for our next episode Episode 8 will be with Dr. Paolo Steinberg, who's on the piano faculty at JMU. Thanks!